Oh hey, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to our annual bonus episode. You might recall previous bonus episodes, don't worry, I'll stop saying that. With guests like Aaron Penn, who has a great YouTube channel with interactive live streams. Be sure and check him out, interact on those, it's lots of fun. Or Sean Robert of Branded in the 80s, whose cult film club podcast has been in Crustwood House mode, which is a phenomenal series of spooky episodes, so be sure to check them out. Paxton, Michael, and Sean are really putting out something special, and I really love it. Who else is up to something spooky? How about New World Pictures Podcast? I don't know what exactly, but their 31 and 31 is up. That's 31 movies that they're watching, and you can interact with them on Twitter. It's very fun. Speaking of Twitter, you don't have to surf that hellscape. Just follow any creator or podcast or person you enjoy. Pop on and interact. Podcasting can feel pretty isolated from anyone listening, so every hello or movie comment is always really, really appreciated. I also don't know what Lindsay is up to at Schlock and Awe. But be sure and check out Schlock and Awe Podcast. Keep your eyes open this month as I know something great will be rolling out. What about Solid 6? What's up with Solid 6 Podcast, huh? Well, who knows if those vagabonds over there are up to something spooky or rebelling in another direction. Either way, don't turn your back on Josh, Brady, and Allison. They're spry and always in a cat-like state of readiness. So that's all I know Audible-wise, which brings us to this episode, which is full of spooky movie recommendations. So let's get right to it. Because this is a bonus, I know I said I wouldn't do it one more time, episode of VHS Presents New Releases and Late Returns. Hello and welcome to VHS Presents New Releases and Late Returns. It's our alternate format where we champion what's currently bringing us joy before a late return to a forgotten gem. I'm your host, Dirk Marshall, and I encourage you to find us on Twitter and Instagram at VHUS underscore podcast. But naturally, I can't do this alone. So I'm joined by Daniel, <laughs> put Kepler, Daniel Epler of the Cobwebs podcast. Thanks for being here. Hi, thank you so much for having me, sir. I am honored and very excited for sure. Perfect. Now, in the off chance that listeners aren't familiar with your podcast, could you please break it down for us? Yes, I'd be happy to break it down best I can. My podcast is called The Cobwebs Podcast, Mm -hmm. and it's called Cobwebs because we are dusting off old movies to sort of see like what they have to offer today, basically. The podcast started out like mostly just talking about old horror movies, but I sort of opened it up to talk about all old movies because I feel like a lot of discussion around old movies you know, just because of what different people are passionate about is, is a little bit like, oh, it's a classic. Like we need to pay our respects to it. But I just have so much fun talking about old movies mm-hmm. and watching them. They're really enjoyable to me. So I kind of wanted to create a space to just have fun talking about these movies and just appreciating them. So that's kind of what we do. We are recording this in late September. I don't know if you're releasing it in October, but in October, we are going all horror. And uh, we're actually going a little crazy and ambitious and doing two episodes a week talking about a lot of old horror movies. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because we're doing normal episodes on Tuesdays. I always drop episodes on Tuesdays, but we're doing a series of bonus episodes on Fridays called Fly Friday because we're going through the whole Fly franchise. One movie Okay, perfect. Yeah. And it's been fun. We've recorded the first few episodes. I've got a consistent co-host for that, which is my friend, Chris Hurtado. He's joining me for all those. And we're occasionally bringing in some other special guests for some of the bigger ones. So yeah, it's just a space to like have a blast talking about black and white movies, old 60s. I just did an episode covering Elvis's film career, which was fun. Right. With Patrick Bromley. Yes, who is the host of my favorite podcast. I've been listening to that podcast for almost like 10 years now. Whoa. So it was a little surreal to be on the, on the mic with him. 
That's fantastic. I love that. Now, normally the new release section is where we champion what's currently bringing us joy, but because it's fall and the spooky season is upon us, I decided to invite you on because you're passionate about Hammer films. So I asked you to pick four to talk about, and then I've paired them with four films without knowing what four you've picked. I'm sure it'll go great. But first, <laughs> could, could you tell people what Hammer is exactly? Yes, absolutely. So Hammer was and is, but most prominently was a film studio that started as early as the 1940s, a British film studio, by the way, but most predominantly made gothic horror films in the late 50s through early 70s. They did other genres as well. There are swashbucklers, thrillers, adventure movies, a lot of different stuff, but they're definitely predominantly known for their horror. And that's the biggest reason I love them, despite the fact that they're great gems and other genres too. But they're most famous, I would say, for their casts because their movies a lot of times have Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, who are extremely famous even outside of Hammer, obviously. Yeah. So they make Hammer more famous, obviously, by their association. But one thing that makes, I think, Hammer particularly important in film history is they took a lot of the Universal Monsters characters and they modernized them. And they are the ones to give Dracula fangs and to bring blood into the vampire film. And they made Frankenstein movies a lot gorier and they put a bunch of blood around a werewolf's mouth and they put these movies in color, of course. And honestly, like Hammer and particularly their star director, Terrence Fisher, they really created what we think of as a gothic horror film today. Because if you watch a gothic horror film that's modern, like say um, Crimson Peak is a great example. Crimson Peak does not really look like a Universal Monsters movie. It looks like a Hammer movie. And same is the true with a lot of more modern gothic horror. So despite the fact that I love the Universal Monsters, I grew up on them. They're just wonderful films. I think Hammer is like maybe even more special and important for this genre. And they're my favorite kind of horror movie, honestly. They're the kind of horror movie that I enjoy the most, despite the fact that I like most every kind of horror. <laughs> That's excellent. My journey through Hammer was just haphazard. It was just in my dad's video store. And I would just pick things, anything that was older horror was more like background. Like I would put it on, but I would do other things. So drawing, stuff like that, but I had, or play music and have the sound off. So I did a real disservice to a lot of the Universal movies, the monster films, and Hammer, what I've seen. And I haven't really revisited anything. So this is going to be a real treat for myself. Oh, that's interesting because I've seen you post pictures on Twitter of your office. And I think you have a Vampire Circus poster, don't yes. you? Yes. Yeah. Is that Hammer? That is Hammer. Yes, indeed. Oh, okay. I have it because it's in the movie Monster Squad and I like the look of it. <laughs> well, it's a fantastic movie. I totally recommend it. Yeah. Sean Robert, who was on here, he has a website branded in the 80s, I think is what it's called. Anyway, he breaks down 80s kids' bedrooms in films and by what the things are in there. So G.I. Joe stuff and Star Wars and uh, that poster popped up and I was like, you know, I've always wanted it. I'm probably just going to buy it. And I did. So now I should probably watch the film because I've now admitted <laughs> to everybody that I have not seen it. I have a poster of Carnival of Blood, a Boris oh, Karloff yeah. film on my wall, a film I have never seen, but my father bought it for me in an antique store. He randomly found it. So I need to watch that movie because that poster is on my wall. <laughs> oh, I love that. Good. I'm not alone. Phew. All right. So let's just dive right into what's the first Hammer film that you've chosen. Okay. So you tell me, just pick four Hammer films you want to talk about. That's, that's a tough call because there's yeah. a lot of directions I could go. Like I thought about, do I go with deeper cuts that I think are underrated? But ultimately I decided these are probably actually my favorites without Ooh. 
repeating any franchises. So okay. putting in variety in there and the movies that I would probably point a lot of people to, if they really asked me like, what I want to start watching hammer movies, what should I watch? So I am going to go with my very favorite hammer movie. And what is pretty close to being my favorite horror movie in general, uh, which is the curse of Frankenstein from 1957 which is directed by that, that director I talked about, uh, Terrence Fisher, and it's starring Peter Cushing as Baron Von Victor Frankenstein and Christopher Lee as the creature. So when I was growing up, I grew up on three Hammer movies because I just happened to be lucky enough to tape them off of TV onto a VHS tape. And those were Horror of Dracula, Curse of the Werewolf, and Curse of Frankenstein. And I watched those movies over and over and over again, and I loved them so much. But it wasn't until adulthood that I thought, wait, are there more of these movies? Should I, should I try to find them? And that's what I, eventually that's what I did. So Curse of Frankenstein is a childhood favorite. And to this day, it's my favorite Hammer movie. And it's the movie that kicked off their gothic horror run. Basically, they wanted to remake Frankenstein and Universal really went hard on them and were like, no, you cannot remake our movie. You cannot make the monster look like this. You can't do anything that we did. So they're like, okay, well, we'll just readapt the book. But it ends up being even further away from the book than the Universal Monster movie. But it's totally unique and interesting. So it's almost entirely about the process of building the monster. The monster is really not in it very much. And the monster, despite the fact that I love Christopher Lee's look, despite the fact that it's way less iconic than Boris Karloff, and I love his performance, he's not terribly important to the movie. I would mm. liken him to like, he's a wounded animal that you feel bad for because he shouldn't exist. Right. But the star of the movie is Peter Cushing, and he is wonderfully devious and he is a true <laughs> evil mad scientist in this film and he's like one of my favorite performances in the whole genre he's so good in this movie he's so cold he has this assistant not like a hunchback assistant or anything like that it's actually his former teacher who is helping him through this but eventually comes to the conclusion of no i can't help you with this anymore like this is messed up we have to stop this and he spends the rest of the movie trying to stop victor okay and along the way victor has got his fiance elizabeth who's played by hazel court he has no interest in her but he lets her live with him anyway like whatever so obviously <laughs> she becomes something that the monster attacks it's just such a unique and interesting Frankenstein movie. It's just like no other Frankenstein film I've ever seen. And despite the fact that it's less iconic than the Boris Karloff film, mm -hmm. it's my favorite because I love the process of watching this creature slowly come together. And I just love Peter Cushing so much. Oh, perfect. I have not seen that. So that this is going really well for me. I'll add that to my list. And the film that I chose to go with it is called Hiroku the Goblin. It's great because the goblins are just regular people's heads with little spider legs sticking off the side. And so it's okay. a lot of people peering around corners and then you're supposed to think that that's the whole creature. But it's very good. It's very entertaining. It's I think it'll, it'll pair very nicely with something classic like Curse of Frankenstein. <laughs> so that's my my first pick, Haruku the Goblin. Love it. There should really be a bigger subgenre of horror of the goblin subgenre. That's not, yeah. not a lot of movies like that. I know. It's very bizarre that they went leprechaun, but not goblin. Like, isn't there hobgoblins? Which yes. I've never seen. It's, okay. it's not great. It has some humor in there, but it's uh, of the gremlin sort of knockoffs. It's not, not really my favorite, so to speak. <laughs> uh, what's your second pick? Okay, so for my second pick, I would say probably it's debatable whether it's the best franchise, 
but the most important franchise in Hammer is their Dracula movies. Okay. And Hammer's Dracula franchise is my personal favorite horror franchise. It's so much fun. Um, and I'm going to go with not the original, despite the fact that the original is amazing. I'm going to go with the fourth sequel, which is Dracula has risen from the grave. What year is that? It's 1968. 68. So this stands to date as the only Hammer movie I have seen theatrically. Not that I was around in 1968. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? I attended a 24-hour horror marathon in a theater in Chicago one year, and they played this movie. And it was the first time I'd ever seen it. It was around like my reawakening of Hammer of like starting mm -hmm. to seek these movies out. And so it definitely holds a special place in my heart for that reason. But also it's the movie that really starts to turn the Dracula series into a slasher franchise. I really think this is a slasher franchise because <laughs> the third movie, Dracula Prince of Darkness, it's the first one that's about sort of Dracula picking people off the way Michael Myers will pick off characters. Sure. But this is the one to make the series about young people. And it stars Barry Andrews and Veronica Carlson. And they are a young couple who is in love. And the main guy, he works in a bakery and he goes to college and he likes to drink and have fun with his friends and play bar games at the pub. And it just has this real slasher feel of being about young people who want to party and are fun. That's one thing I like about slasher movies. A lot of people say, I don't like slasher movies because the characters are unlikable. Yes. I often don't agree with that. Like, oh. I'm like yeah, if you watch a Friday the 13th movie, these are just young people that are just having a good time. I'm not mad at them. I don't find yeah. them unlikable. And Dracula has risen from the grave feels a little bit like that. But I love the two main characters. They're some of my favorite characters in the Hammer movies. But besides them, you've got Christopher Lee as Dracula. And he's awesome. He's such a wonderful presence. He, he famously doesn't get very much dialogue in these movies, but... He does so much with it anyway. Like, I just love Christopher Lee as Dracula. And then Freddie Francis directed this movie, who is a very acclaimed cinematographer. He shot The Innocence. Oh, wow. He even shot the Denzel Washington movie Glory, which I think he won an Oscar for. But because he directed this movie, it's just one of the most beautiful Hammer films. It's got really interesting, almost Suspiria-like lighting at times. I, like, okay. I don't want to... Comparing to Suspiria, I might be building it up a little bit too much, but it's really, it's a pretty movie with a lot of pink and purple lighting that I think is cool. Um, so yeah, that's Dracula's Risen from the Grave. Uh, if you ask me on certain days, I might tell you it's my favorite Dracula movie, despite the fact that I know it's not the best, but it's just, it's such a blast. Oh, that's fantastic. Again, one I haven't seen, so adding that to the list. And I'm going to pair it with The Midnight Hour, which is a made-for-TV movie. Have you seen this? Yeah, I love yeah. this movie. It's so fun. And it was a safe bet not knowing what your pick was, but I think that this would play really well. You talked about kids wanting to party and this has a party <laughs> in it. Yeah, It's a deadly Halloween party is how Variety describes it. But anyone interested in a good time should check out The Midnight Hour. It's got a little bit of everything and including LeVar Burton is in there. So you can't go wrong there. Reading Rainbow. Oh, it's such a fun movie. I'm just dying for it to get a Blu-ray release or something. Yes. But it's got a great halloween -y musical number in there, mm -hmm. which is great. It's got so many corpses rising from the dead. But for so some many. reason, one very pretty girl rises from the dead, totally yeah. intact, has kind of a cute romance with the main character. Yeah, which is, uh, it's full of surprises. It's one of those that you put on and you're just like, this is way better than I thought it was going to be. And then yep. ultimately you just end up quite charmed by it. So that is The Midnight Hour. And what is your third selection today? Okay, so my third selection is, this is the movie that I watched and I realized, 
oh, I think Hammer is my favorite kind of horror movie, which is The Plague of the Zombies from 1966. I haven't even heard of this one. Yeah, it's a little, it's definitely one of their more obscure ones. It's one that I had been very interested in for a long time, just because it's the only Hammer movie with anything to do with zombies. And then I just suddenly found out one day, oh, Scream Factory just put this out on Blu-ray because it had been very hard to get a hold of for a long time. So I ordered the Scream Factory Blu-ray right away and had such a great experience watching it because it just happened to have a crazy rain thunderstorm outside, which is like the perfect (laughs) ambiance. Yeah. And I watched this movie and another reason that I realized it made me realize how much I love Hammer is it does not have Christopher Lee. It doesn't have Peter Cushing. It didn't have any of the regular Hammer actors that I knew at that time, but I still loved it. So I realized that, oh, it's these sets. It's this feeling like I love all of this stuff. In story, it's honestly a little bit of a Dracula knockoff because it takes place at this small village and there is a a squire, they call him, but he's sort of like the head of the whole village, sort of the nobility. He is secretly using voodoo that he learned in Haiti to turn the village people into zombies one by one. So it's a lot like Dracula turning people into vampires. But anyway, I think this movie is way more influential on the zombie genre than it ever gets credit for because it came out two years before George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. And I'm not taking anything away from Night of the Living Dead. It's a great (laughs) film. But I've seen a lot of voodoo zombie movies that came out before Night of the Living Dead. They're never anything like modern zombie movies, Mm -hmm. but this one kind of is. The zombies do look and feel a lot like modern zombies. There's an incredible sequence where they're all crawling out of their graves and you just watch hands popping out of the ground. Oh, yeah. It's so much fun. I love any kind of horror imagery like that. It's just a really, really well done movie with a really great cast. A lot of just really fun zombie stuff that's I feels way ahead of its time for sure. Interesting. Plague of zombies. Plague of the zombies. Oh, plague of the zombies. <laughs> no yeah. big deal. You don't really see healthy zombie movies. There's always something that's wrong. That's bizarre. This is uh, true. <laughs> Whether it be a dawn or a day. Right. You know, whatever. They're never like <laughs> eating just the right amount of people to stay fit. <laughs> Great. Well, I chose The Witch Subversion is the film to go with this one, which doesn't go well with it at all. But, you know, that's still what I chose. Have you seen The Witch Subversion? No, I've never heard of this. Okay, this is on, I think it's on Netflix right now. I'm waiting for the sequel. It's actually an action film. It's kind of like the the old trope of the La Femme Nikita type situation where the star, she's actually an assassin kind of situation, but they introduce the idea of her being a witch. And so there's this person's repressing her superpowers or whatever. It's really fun. It's good action. It's one of the films I didn't expect a lot from, and I'm excited to see where it goes. So it's not really spooky, but I often have to talk about it because I don't think a lot of people watched it because it's got a terrible title, I think, doing it a disservice. The Witch Subversion is like, it's too clinical sounding, you know? Mm -hmm. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. And I mean this totally sincerely, because I'm just curious. So just because, you know, you haven't seen these old Hammer movies and you're bringing up these movies that are way off my radar, I've never heard of these. How do you decide what horror movies you're going to watch? Are you particularly drawn to stuff that's like really, really obscure? No. And actually you've seen the midnight hour, so they're not all really obscure. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Two thirds. No. You're just asking how I watch stuff. I guess I'm wondering how these movies are on your radar. Sure. Because I've never heard of any of these. Well, besides Midnight Hour. A lot of it comes from how I grew up in a video store and having access to so many things. 
So I kind of have this weird tapestry of interests that I guess I never know if this is how everybody works or just how I work until my wife tells me that's not how everybody works, <laughs> but which she, she does and it's helpful. So there's stuff that like I've just seen because I was in the store and it's stuff that maybe people wouldn't be drawn to or renting, but I had just exhausted more mainstream films and things. And I just sort of felt more comfortable in those oddities. So something like The Devil's Gift is one that I'd didn't choose it was a backup but this thing not everyone would look at it and say like i want to watch it but it's one of those haunted monkey with the symbols it's one of those films where you know you wind it up and it claps to the symbols <laughs> people often think of monkey shines but it's there's this weird subgenre of films that have these in them i love sitting through these things and watching them and just studying sort of what's going on what works what doesn't work it's a good example of not this film, but like Nightmare Sisters is a good example of something that my wife would be like, is this the worst movie you've ever seen? Which is a polite way of her saying, I don't want to watch this anymore. <laughs> but for me, it's all fascinating. I love that stuff. So it's also why I don't read a lot of reviews and things because anyone can critique and pick apart a film, but to find the weird obtuse corners charming, I think is way more interesting to me. And then there's things like 31 and 31 where I program it out so that I'm not watching things that I always watch. And then I'll, sure. I'll throw a couple things in there. I always like to start with the fog is a great way to start off 31 oh, and 31. Choice. Yeah. Cause it starts off with someone telling the story and they, by the campfire, it just really sets the, the tone. And then like trick or treat, things like that, that are really good. But then I forced myself into watching new things, often older things. So there's going to be some hammer stuff this year that I'm pretty excited about. Thank you for some of those. But yeah, I don't know if I answered your question or rambled to an appropriate amount of time, but. No, you're good. I, I was just curious because when people talk about movies that are way off my radar and you're showing me these covers and they look, you know, pretty out there, I just get curious for like, what drew you to that? Mm. Like, you know, if a movie was released by Vinegar Syndrome or by Severin, then like, I don't have to ask that. Like, I know right. why you watched it. So I was just curious. Yeah, it, it's something that I learned probably a couple of years ago when I actually looked at my habits. But in music stores, it was the same thing for me. Like I would go and dig through the record crates and things and find a label and then listen to all the bands on that label and then go from those bands to the producers. And then that would lead me to something else. So it's, it's like going through a, an internet rabbit hole but it's very sort of singular because it's what spoke to you in that moment kind mm -hmm. of thing. But I mean, I like all kinds of, of stuff, but it's really fun when you find that little, like when I first saw Midnight Hour, I had no attachment to that. We didn't have it in my dad's video store. The blockbuster across the street didn't have it. So that was so awesome. Practical Magic is a very well-known film. That one with Sandra Bullock, I think is in it. That's like on my list for this October. I've never seen oh, that movie still. It's so fun. And the choices they make in that mainstream film are baffling. It's, <laughs> it's so incredible that it got made and played in theaters. And so, I mean, yeah, there's, I have blind corners all over the place. When I came across that, like that was when my wife was like, we could watch this one every year. And I'm like, yeah, totally could. Aiden Quinn is amazing in it. There's lots of, lots of fun things. What's your fourth choice? Okay, so these three movies that I've talked about so far are all relatively classy movies. You know, Hammer made like a lot of mostly classy movies for the through the 50s and a lot of the 60s. But then when they got into the late 60s and into the 70s, Hammer got trashy mm -hmm. and they got a lot more excessive. And I'm going to talk about now my favorite one of those, 
which is Twins of Evil, which is from 1971. So this is part of a vampire trilogy that they made called the Karnstein Trilogy. Mm. And they're very loosely connected, except for the fact that they're all, the antagonists of these movies are all vampires in this Karnstein family. But what really connects them is the marketing hook of all of them is, hey, look, the vampires are sexy. And if you come see this movie, you might see them naked. And that's very much the marketing hook of this movie because it stars two Playboy twins who play twins. And the marketing is all just come see them get naked, basically. Even though what's weird about this movie is it is by far the least sleazy of the three Karnstein movies, but it's still sleazier than anything we've talked about so far. So this movie, it takes place. It very much has like a folk horror setting of 1600s in some village, small village. It has Peter Cushing in it, very much playing a Vincent Price in Witchfinder General kind of character. Wow. Which is interesting because the Dracula movies are all pretty pro-religion, you know, Mm. for the most part. Van Helsing is a very noble character who talks about God and uses crosses and holy water and blah, blah, blah. And Twins of Evil is not because Peter Cushing is a clergyman who is every bit as evil as the vampires in this movie and will just like burn any woman that he doesn't like for being a witch. But even though he's a witch hunter, there are no witches in this movie. There are vampires, but the vampires are all Satanists and are part of like satanic cults and they do satanic rituals. Oh, wow. I like movies, especially like from this time period, late 60s, early 70s, that are just throwing so much stereotypically spooky bullshit at you. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is. It's just like vampires, satanic rituals, full core witch burnings. It's just so much fun, spooky stuff. And it's a really fun movie because it's so over the top. And I just love it so much. And like, it's definitely less classy than than any of the movies we've talked about so far, but it's still really well made. You know, like the sets are great. The actors are great. Well, you know, for the most part, the actors are great. It's terrific. I just love this movie. All right. I thought it sounded familiar. It's part of a game we're playing later. Oh, that's awesome. I bet you'll get that one correct. (laughs) So I chose The House Where Evil Dwells. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. I haven't met anyone that's seen this. So (laughs) (laughs) Edward Albert, Susan George, Doug McClure, It's directed by Kevin Connor. I got this because it says a story of the supernatural that begins and ends with chilling display of samurai swordsmanship. But it's a horror film about a haunted house. So I was like, I've got to see this. It is a ghost story. I don't want to ruin anything about the film, but it does start and end with swordplay. And where this film goes was so unexpected for me. I'm not one to usually guess the endings of films. I'm sort of just wrapped up for the ride. But there is possessions. There's a scene involving soup that is so awesome. I can't get the image out of my head. I wish there was a gift for it, but nobody has ever watched this movie. I (laughs) sent this movie to multiple people just to be like, will you please help just get the word out about this weird? I mean, it's made Sony Pictures, MGM. It's like this was a thing to somebody, but it made it to DVD. But that, that was about it. It's slow. It is slow. I'll give you that. But where it ends, I was so happy. But this is another example of a film where my wife was like, are you enjoying this at all? And I was like, I love this. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's me in the house where evil dwells. But I recommend people check it out. Well, based on your description, I just added it to my watch list. Oh. And I got to say, based on the DVD cover you just showed me, yeah, does not look interesting at all. Sure. Honestly, I would have guessed it came out last year and was kind of a ripoff of Elizabeth yes. Moss's The Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. But the poster on Letterboxd 
don't know if you can see that is oh, fantastic. Yeah, that's much really more good. enticing. For way, sure. way better. Oh, yeah. For anyone listening, it just hit Paramount Plus, I believe. So oh, that's awesome. You can find it. You don't have to buy the DVD, but I would just to watch the soup scene. So if anyone wants to know where my tastes lie, it's really something. Reminds me of the chili scene in Curse of Chucky. Oh, yes. <laughs> I've never met another person that would reference Curse of Chucky. So that's <laughs> lovely. I'm your guy. Oh, perfect. Excellent. Well, now before our late return, I thought it'd be fitting we play a game. So Daniel, are you ready to play Hammer Film, Film with Hammer Murder, or MC Hammer is on the film soundtrack? Yes, I love podcast games. Okay, perfect. As a special treat, Daniel, this is the longest game we've ever played. There are 10 choices. There's usually only five. For anyone playing at home, hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and let us know how you scored if you got all 10 out of 10. So Hammer Film, yep. Film with Hammer Murder, Correct. or an MC Hammer song? Or he's on the soundtrack. Oh, a film where he's on the soundtrack. Yes. I'm going to do very badly with that last one for sure, but I think let's it go. May, be, may be obvious. Let's see. So number one, Gladiator from 1992. It's a film starring Cuba Gooding Jr. and James Marshall. Hmm. I'm going to say MC Hammer's on the soundtrack. Correct. Can't touch this is featured <laughs> in the film. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. What else? I don't know how that fits with boxing, but okay. Number two, The Reptile from 1966. That is Hammer, and it's yeah. by the same director and has many of the same sets as Plague of the Zombies and is also pretty great. Oh, I love it. I love this. The snake hybrid person in this movie is yeah. really amazing. It's one of the few that I can always say. I've seen that one, definitely. Number three, Kill List from 2010, directed by Ben Wheatley. Film with Hammer Murder. Correct. It's very disturbing. Yeah, deeply unsettling. Number four, Vampire in Brooklyn from 1995. <laughs> Hmm, I have seen this movie and I'm trying to think. Eddie Murphy. The Hammer Murder or the MC? I'm going to say MC Hammer's on the soundtrack. Correct. MC Hammer's Prey is featured in the film. Fantastic. Yeah. It's not P R E Y either. It's actually a religious song. Number five, Paranoiac from 1963. Hammer film. Have you seen this? Yes, it's really great. I love it. It sounds great. It was described as a Hitchcockian thriller. Produced by Hammer, starring Jeanette Scott and Alexander Devian, I think. Yeah, and it's got Oliver Reed as a perpetual drunk, and he's really chewing the scenery, which is oh, wonderful. I love that. I'm definitely <laughs> going to check that out. Number six, Adam's Family from 1991. <laughs> okay, maybe I love, well, love the sequel, like this one. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think in a family film they would murder anyone with a hammer. <laughs> so I'm going to say... <laughs> <laughs> MC Hammer is on the soundtrack. Yeah, he wrote Adam's Groove for the song. Oh, I need to listen to that because I don't remember that. Oh, really? That that's where they play how they want to play, live how they want to live. It's really something. It's okay. It's a rap song about Adam's family, which yes, <laughs> more of that. The next film I wish had a rap song about it. Hellraiser from 1987. Ooh, one of my favorite movies. Definitely a film with hammer murder. Correct. Julia's killing dudes with a hammer in this Clive Barker film. <laughs> Number eight, Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Squeakwolf from 2009. Ooh, I really, <laughs> really want to say hammer murder. Yeah, especially because the chipmunks are about the size of hammers. <laughs> yes. I think I'm going to have to go with MC Hammer on the soundtrack. You're correct. The film might drive people to hammer murder, but no, it's can't touch this again on the soundtrack. 
Wait, quick sidebar. Have you seen the fully animated movies Alvin and the Chipmunks Meet Frankenstein and Meet the Wolfman? No. Such childhood favorites of mine. I've never revisited them as an adult, so they might not hold up. But man, I loved those when I was a kid. I didn't even know those existed. I don't think. It's vaguely familiar. I stayed out of the kids section of, the, of my dad's video store as much as possible. I was, <laughs> I was out crawling around in the horror and science fiction. And uh, Good for you. Yeah. Uh, number nine, a movie we've already discussed, Twins of Evil from 1972. I'm going to say Hammer movie. Yeah. It's so funny because when you were talking about it, I was like, why do I know this? And I'm like, oh, that's right. Again. <laughs> and the last one, number 10, Old Boy from 2003. Ooh, you know, this is actually one of my big movie shames. I've not seen it, but I do know it has Hammer Murder. Ah, why, why? I know. Well, one problem is I know the twist and I think maybe that's kept me away, but I know I still need to watch it. I know. Yeah, there's no way you won't love it just because of how well it's crafted. I pretend that the ending doesn't happen. So the twist, you know, it's just, I don't need it. I think the rest of the movie is just so incredible and it's not my favorite twist. It's actually keeps me kind of from rewatching it. Um, But man, you got to see the hallway scene. It is unbelievable. And did you see the remake, the Spike Lee one? No, I have not. Oh, I mean, you put those two films side by side and it is, it's embarrassing. The remake, it's just, it's just not accomplishing the, what the original film and that's Park Chan-wook. So, you know. Yeah, which I believe he made The Handmaiden, which was really great. I did watch yeah. that one. Yeah, and Thirst, I think. Didn't he do that as well? Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Oh, you'll love that too, I think. Great. Well, that's the end of the game, which means it's time for our late return. And today we're taking a look back at Nocturna, a.k.a. Hotel Transylvania, a.k.a. Granddaughter of Dracula from 1979. I know that you hadn't seen this before because I sent you a link to it because it's very hard to find this film except for in a muddy, well, the only versions are muddy on YouTube. What did you think of Nocturna? <laughs> so remember when I asked you, why do you watch the movies that you watch? <laughs> oh, yeah, cool. It's <laughs> a bit motivated by Nocturna. Gotcha. I didn't like Nocturna. Mm-hmm. I'm not really the audience for this movie. I know that there's a big audience for really, really schlocky, really low budget horror that sometimes people call Z-grade horror or something like that. I totally respect that that's an interest of a lot of people. I'm not really that guy. I'll watch some low budget movies and stuff for sure, but I do like some level of competence. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Which I, I did not feel like Nocturna had. I thought it was really boring particularly for a movie with like disco vampires. Sadly, I thought it was really, really boring. It's so slow. I don't want to like step on your toes, but I was doing some reading about the movie and (laughs) the lead actress. So she was a belly dancer. Correct. Yep. And she became famous for some reason. And she used this newfound clout to start her own production company. Yeah. So this movie is like her baby. She's got this thing made. It's what ended her career as well. Well, that's fascinating because I'm surprised anyone actually watched it to even know it should enter. Well, we'll get to why. Uh, So N-A-I is her first name. I couldn't figure out how to pronounce that, if it's Nye or Nay, but she's a Bonet. She recorded a song called Jelly Belly that you can find on YouTube. That was like kind of her big claim to fame. It's an instructional song about belly dancing. Okay, good for her. The film's directed by Harry Hurwitz as Harry Tampa. So that's always a good sign when the director's like, oh, I'm going to go by a different (laughs) name, but not that much. (laughs) He also directed Under the Rainbow. I don't know if you saw that film, but it is crazy. It's about the casting of the little people in Wizard of Oz. Wow. Yeah. 
fascinating. It's really something. And you read about it because it's it's real crazy the behind the scenes of that film. But the film stars John Carradine, who's a legend. He's in this movie. He's wearing the same costume as the 1945 film House of Dracula. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty neat. Yvonne DiCarlo, who played Lily Munster, is in this film. I love her. Theodore Gottlieb, who is utterly disgusting in this movie. He's like the right-hand man to Dracula, but he's doing this tongue-flickering thing all the time. I'm guessing because he's a werewolf, he added this as like a dog flourish to the character, but I just found it really unpleasant. <laughs> and he does wrote, it all the time. I wrote down one of his lines. I'm too easily aroused. Cows have to wear brassiers when I go to the country. Yes. So you bring up an excellent point, Daniel. <laughs> the writing in this movie is insane. The things that people are saying, my favorite line is from Mr. Carradine, who says, all the ladies would say I was hung like a walrus, referring to his fangs he had, which he doesn't have anymore. Just, I was like, who is this for <laughs> exactly? What is this rated? It's really incredible. My wife sat next to me reading. She's currently getting through Stephen King's It, which I'm very proud of her for. Awesome. But she was reading that sitting next to me, not paying attention. But I turned to her at one point and I said, watching this feels like watching a stand-up comedian just bomb on stage <laughs> and you feel really bad for them and you want to leave. Yes, yes, to all of that. That's very true. The thing that sells Nocturna, I think, to people that, because you can buy the soundtrack on vinyl. So this exists for somebody and it's Gloria Gaynor singing Love is Just a Heartbeat Away, a song which they lap play in this film for most of the running time, it feels like. It's so much in there. It's really wild. There's also musical numbers in this movie. They go for so long. I don't know why these sequences, even on one speed 1.5, you're just like, this is too much of this. It's really wild. There's also the weirdest bath. I've ever seen in a film. Oh man. Well, the most boring bath yeah. I've ever seen. It's and really long. Yeah. To ruin it for people. My wife let me know, I think it was last year, the October before it, that women don't actually wash their breasts for 15 minutes in, like in movies. So I was like, oh, you ruined the illusion. And she's like, <laughs> women wouldn't do that. Like, that's so ridiculous. But that happens in this movie. She also puts on an insane amount of oil after she gets out of the bath. Yeah, she's like Schwarzenegger getting ready to film Predator or something. Yes, it's so <laughs> absurd. This film also features a meeting of vampires where a security guard walks in, is pretty deep into the film, and they turn into cartoon bats. They don't just turn into cartoon bats. The entire <laughs> frame turns into a cartoon. Yeah, yeah, it's so crazy. Oh my gosh. And then we have to talk about the choreography in these dance sequences. The male lead, I don't even know what his name is, you're fine. <laughs> and this is this is why uh, you're asking the question about how I find these things. Why would I probably have someone watch these things? I probably should apologize to you. But <laughs> when this guy starts dancing, I couldn't have been happier. It's such a gift that he's doing these crazy chicken moves and they don't cut. It's just on him doing it forever. And then later on, when they go to the disco, I was like, if he does that chicken move again. And sure enough, it's one of his two moves he could do. And that sequence feels like four hours of them just dancing. Everyone in the dance club stops and watch them do absolutely nothing miraculous. 
it's really incredible. The other reason I wanted to bring it up for us to talk about, other than that vampires learn to smoke weed in this movie, which I don't think happens anywhere else, is that this- is like most Hammer movies. Oh, okay. Just (laughs) kidding. Every Everyone there's like, but how does Dracula get the weed? It's like, we're gonna have to figure that out. The film is called Nocturna, but it's straight up Hotel Transylvania. I was going to bring this up, but I didn't know if you'd seen it because you said you skipped the children's sections. So No, now I watch them all because I have a kid. Ah, right. Gotcha. And she loves spooky stuff. But yeah, when I put this on and we had been pretty steeped in the Hotel Transylvania, I was like, did somebody just straight lift this? Because they're like, no one's going to sit through Nocturna. (laughs) I think that's what happened. I think that that... I mean, aside from the main character having a grandfather and, I mean, it's granddaughter of Dracula was an alternate title. I think this is the birthplace of Hotel Transylvania. It is to the point that I looked up the Wikipedia page for Hotel Transylvania and I was looking to see if Nocturna was referenced anywhere. <laughs> and if the writer came forward and said, like, I saw Nocturna, but I thought it should be family friendly and not at a glacier's pace. So I made this movie. I I don't hate Hotel Transylvania. It's a little bit fun. I will take it over Nocturna. (laughs) Hot take. (laughs) Yes. It's also a hot take that only the two of us would know the origin of, because I don't think there's anyone else that's seen or sat through Nocturna except for you, me, and my wife. And I'm so glad that your wife wasn't subjected to it, because as I say time and time again, I just mean for the guest to watch the film. Don't make your loved ones watch anything that I'm talking (laughs) about. I do genuinely like a lot of the films that I'm talking about, but it's not always for everybody. You know, no, no, you know, I'm pretty good about not forcing her to watch stuff. I have a pretty good idea of what she enjoys. And I'll, I'll tell her like, okay, here's this thing. I think you might like it because this, this and this. And then she'll be like, okay, let's check it out. I generally don't like sit her down and be like, you need to watch this and then put on Nocturna. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to break up relationships and things. That's not my goal. <laughs> I do appreciate you watching Nocturna because otherwise it would just be me saying, and then he does this chicken dance and you'd be like, I can't picture it. But now you can. It lives in your brain forever. Yeah. And and regarding the musical numbers. So despite the fact that I'm in my late 20s and was not around for the disco boom, I have no problem with disco. Saturday Night Fever is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, I think it's amazing. I feel like disco is coming back a little bit. There's this new artist, Dua Lipa, who I really like. Oh, yeah. Kind of starting to bring back disco a little bit, which I think is cool. And I kind of dig the music in this. Like, I, the music is the only decent thing about the movie for me. Not the dancing, but the actual music. I don't think it's half bad. But regarding the dancing, so yes, you have our male lead chicken dance, but also you have our female lead who is a professional dancer. <laughs> I think she's trying to merge belly dancing and disco. Yeah. And all it is is her twirling around, really. Yes, spinning. She's just yeah. spinning. It doesn't make any sense. It's like she never heard her own Jelly Belly song. <laughs> it's very weird just, just belly dance yeah the, the only reason people will come to see this movie is to watch you belly dance surely yeah that's so the point that. it's like going to see an elvis movie and he doesn't sing yeah she even gets on stage in the first musical number or second and she's spinning around and everyone's fine with it i was just like who why is she on stage and why is she just twirling she's just spinning everywhere it's so weird <laughs> I also like that our lead plays bass, but they never show him play the bass. They just film him shoulders up because he clearly he doesn't know how. Head. Yeah, he just bobbed his head. And oh, man, it, it's really something. So anyway, I'll send you this Nocturna DVD so you can put it in your collection. Wait, really? No. Oh, OK, good. Because it's not going to gonna get a lot of play. It's, it'll be the first <laughs> thing when you're like, I got to make some room in here. Oh, no, Nocturna. Perfect. <laughs> 
well, one day I might have kids that like Hotel Transylvania and I'm going to be like, you need to learn your film history. Yes. You need to know where this comes from. Sit down, kid. We're yes. going to watch this. Well, if we're doing nothing else here, we're educating people on the birthplace of Hotel Transylvania, <laughs> which is 1979. So we could know. be doing worse things with our time. It's true. And maybe... Yeah. Brad Henderson will hear this and release it on Vinegar Syndrome. Oh my God. Can you imagine all these people pay $30 for that Blu-ray just because they yeah. trust Vinegar Syndrome? And then they're like, what the hell? Yeah, I would be one of those people probably, but <laughs> I didn't buy the vinyl, but I almost did when I was looking up Nocturna stuff for the sake of this conversation. I saw the vinyl and was like, well, I should probably, no, stop it. Stop it. Just, you don't need to. Basically, I would just subject people to it when they come over to the house. I'd be like, all right, going to put this on. Like, what is this? I'm like, love is just a heartbeat away, man. This is really good stuff. I'd rather have the vinyl than the DVD, for sure. <laughs> the vinyl would get more play for me. Okay. All right. It wouldn't when... get a lot of play, but maybe once or twice, but the DVD okay. wouldn't get once or twice. Good to know. I'll let your wife know because Christmas is coming. So It is, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any final thoughts before we wrap up on Nocturna? I think we covered it. Oh, except that John Carradine as Dracula. I've wrote down one of his lines, which is, if I'm dead, why do I have to wee-wee? Oh, yeah. Oh, and also the movie ends with, and now John Carradine's Dracula is going to fuck. Yes. With, with Lily Munster. And I'm yep. like, really? Okay. I guess this is where we went. He's still yeah. capable of that. All right. Good for him. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't even want to get into the logistics of old vampire sex. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a that's a different podcast. Well, thank you, Daniel, for being here. The Cobwebs podcast is where you'll find Daniel and all his hosts and bonus episodes in October, which is fantastic. I'm your host, Dirk Marshall. This has been VHS Podcast presents new releases and late returns. <laughs> <laughs>